You're listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast with Ian Tullock and Anthony Petrielli. Welcome to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast. My name is Ian Tullock. I'm here with Anthony Petrielli. Anthony, how you doing, man? I hate these weeks, man. There's no Leaf games on the entire time. I think even next week is also one where like they don't play pretty much at all during the week. Yeah, there are gaps on my calendar. I try to put down whenever there's a Leafs game, whenever we're recording a podcast, I like having my life somewhat organized because for 28 years it hasn't been. So I figured now would be a good time to change it during a pandemic. And yeah, a lot of blank dates on the calendar. No Leafs games for a three-day stretch this week. And I think there's a four-day stretch next week where they don't have a lot of games. So as someone whose entire existence is built <laughs> around this team, yeah, it's, it's, it's always weird when we get to stretches like this where they're not playing. The only thing that's worse is when they don't play on Saturday nights. It's like, does the league even want to make money? I'm just completely unaware of why they would. The Leafs should play every Saturday night, period. And especially those games against Vancouver where the West Coast fans get upset about the timing of the games. And yeah, that's always a fun <laughs> discussion on Twitter. Gotta There's nothing that. I love more than when they make the game for 7 o'clock Eastern time and it just drives Western Canada nuts. I love it. I thrive on it. That's, I mean, what else are you going to do if you're a Toronto boy? You know, you just got to you gotta <laughs> accept the fact that, hey, you know what? The world revolves around the Toronto Maple Leafs, whether or not they're good. The fact that they're actually a good team now, I guess there's a bit more reason for it. But we'll, we'll move on to what we actually wanted to talk about today. Kyle Dubas had his big press conference, and if you were on hockey Twitter as it was happening, you would have got updates from about 20 different people all saying the exact same thing. What were some of your biggest takeaways? Because I know that whenever a general manager or a coach speaks to the media, they obviously have to keep their actual intentions close to the vest. But if you've listened to someone long enough, like we have with Kyle Dubas, a lot of the times you can pick up on some small things. And I thought there was a lot more meat to chew on here than I was expecting. Yeah, and there's a few quotes I'm going to start. We can start going through them one by one as as I have them all here. But just as like a very quick aside, I... He's gotten better with the media, I've found, as a whole. You know, he's had questionable press conferences at times. Like, he really has. There was no Cody Cece's actually good type garbage or, like, any of that on this one. Like, he, if you if you read through it and if you listen to it, like, it, it made sense. Like, the, the overall press conference kind of checked out and, hey, like, he was a first-time general manager growing into the role. Like, not every press conference is going to be incredible so i'm going to say that off the top i felt uh, like he was indirectly talking to me when he was bringing up the cody cc criticisms and he's like man this guy faces so much heat and i'm like oh is he bringing up the fact that i always bury him in the report cards i kind of feel bad about it at times he definitely was addressing conversations that were happening primarily on twitter and you know it just felt like like that's not real life man like don't you shouldn't be, you're the general manager of Toronto Maple Leafs. Do not waste your time. He was born on hockey Twitter in the early 2010s. Yeah, no, I remember. And, and he was super active. And um, honestly, as a quick aside to that, I think he gets treated with kid gloves sometimes because of that. Because a lot of the people that would generally be fairly critical probably aren't as much so because they think they have a quote-unquote relationship with them. Because maybe they exchange some sort of Twitter conversation or a few DMs or whatever the case is. Um, but ultimately neither here nor there. They have a good team. He's in charge and he had some interesting, interesting things to say today. So the first one, if you don't mind, I'll go, I have uh, one right now is going to pull up and I'll just read it word for word. 
So he started speaking about uh, teams that struggle for stretches. And he said, uh, and this is a direct quote now, the great teams are the ones that have great seasons and go on great runs. They all deal with these types of stretches and they deal with them very, very well. They use them to fuel better performance and better results as it goes on. That is what I am looking for now. If our group can do that, in combination with what they showed at the beginning of the year, the onus will be on me to do everything within reason to improve the group. That's a good quote to pick out. I I like that overall because I think the stretch he's referring to, obviously, is going 1-5 in in their last six games. They got goalied in a few of those games pretty hard, especially, I want to say, if we grouped it into their last three games and the three games before that. I actually think they've actually... They've looked pretty poor in their last game or two, if you include it, the last three. Outplayed at even strength. The other team's goalie is a backup, and they haven't been able to find a way to beat them. But I think the more concerning trend is the fact that, okay, yeah, you're losing these games, but if you're Kyle Dubas, you're looking at the team, and you're going, well, we're controlling the run of scoring chances. You're controlling the run of play. Overall, I don't think that their record in the last six games is indicative of their true talent. But at the same time, were their first 20 games, you know, the record that they had there, I think... Alec, uh, not Alex, sorry, Andrew Berkshire had a great tweet about this. He's like, yeah, it's shocking that a team with 52% of the expected goals isn't winning 80% of the games anymore. And that's kind of how hockey works, right? You're not just going to keep winning an unsustainable amount of your games if you're riding a bunch of shooting percentage and save percentage luck. But I like the fact that he brought up, look, teams go through ups and downs in the course of a regular season. It's not about your lowest point. It's about how you get out of that. And it sounds like if the team is playing well, as we expect them to over the next little bit. He's going to look to get them some help probably sooner rather than later. My biggest fear is that the second we put out this podcast, they trade for Philip Forsberg or something like that, and then we have to completely scrap this and move on to the next one. But Our first emergency podcast will be in the pipes if that happens. Look out for it. So you're the one who chose to talk about that quote, and you wanted to specifically bring that up. So why was it that you chose that one, and what was it that you found specifically interesting about it? So the thing the thing that I actually thought about was, and you might recall this last year, the Leafs were slated to meet with Zach Bogosian. And then they lost the David Ayers game. And and Dubis basically said, like, screw that. Like, I'm not giving these guys anything and I'm not spending any extra money or assets or whatever the case is. Like they were in a little bit there of a rut at that of point. Them potentially selling Tyson Berry for a draft pick at that point. They should have anyways. It would have been addition by subtraction. Uh, and I was basically on that drum since like January of that season. But neither here nor there. Point being is it, we've seen Dubas kind of have those reaction. We've seen him have that reaction literally last season where he's like, you know what? Like these guys don't deserve for me to bring anybody and help them. And I don't think that he's shading towards that at all. I'm not suggesting that in any capacity. But I did find it interesting that he tried to kind of push the onus back on them where it was like, okay, like, let's not let this snowball like let's let's make sure that we're taking care of business and getting back to our game and putting things in the right direction and not letting this you know become an 18 wheeler off the cliff and then i will do my part if you guys do your part and i think you're capable of doing it that was kind of the tone that i got it i think you guys are capable of doing this and if you do it i'm gonna then then it's on me like i gotta bring you guys some help I'll bring in some extra energy to the group. And I like that approach. Like he's trying to make them accountable. He's saying, okay, I'll do this, but you got to, you got to help me out on my, my end of things first. 
positive reinforcement. You know, if you want to earn the reward, you got to go out there and deserve it. What I'm worried about is that are you going to base too much of your season on a small sample now at this point? Are you going to be determining which player you trade for based on a two or three or four game sample? Because, you know, I'm a big sample guy. I like going, no, this is what your team is. They're a top five, top ten team in the NHL. There's a North division that is going to give you this free this fluke of a season where you have a very strong chance of winning a Stanley Cup and those odds go down significantly after this season so honestly regardless of whether your team is playing well or not in the short term don't you need to get them the best asset possible regardless I think I think his point is more like you guys need to show me you, you can you know when things aren't going well that you can figure it out and work your way out of it and I'll be a little bit more comfortable expending really high quality assets like there's a difference between trading you know a fourth round pick for a depth defenseman and trading a guy that you drafted in the first round that you've spent a ton of development time on or you are spending a bunch of development time and energy on so i i do think that there's something to be said about that now i don't imagine any world where the leafs come back from this and stink up the joint but let's say that there was a world where they continued for two or three more weeks that would be about a month of struggling, which then and would have And we're not preceded... just talking about getting goalied. We're talking about games yeah. where they're getting outshot, outchanced at 5-on-5. Five five. The penalty kill still doesn't look good. Yeah, and that's not four games at that point. That's that's actually like, mm, am I actually going to be trading you know, my top-end prospects, even given this scenario? And I think that would give him pause. Again, I don't think he was framing it in any way where he's concerned. I think he's just trying to give them a little push that says... Okay, you guys, you guys hold up your end of the bargain. I'll hold up mine. We're gonna, we're gonna go all in. Like that's, that's what I want to do. He's very clearly open for business, but you know, he wants to see a little bit more from them. Here's my favorite quote from Kyle Dubas, and it pertains to what we're talking about right now. Uh, Kyle Dubas asked if he's willing to trade a top prospect before this trade deadline. Yes, that's the quote. <laughs> Yeah, and to that point, he should be, right? I know that we just talked about it, and I'm fully expecting that they come out of this tailspin relatively unscathed. If he's not this year, then when would he be? And uh, another thing Pierre Lebrun noted is that Dubas hopes to make a trade uh, ASAP because of the 14-day quarantine. He'd like to trade a top prospect. He'd prefer a rental player for once over a hockey deal. And forward is the position that they're looking at adding. And that makes sense when you consider the fact that Brody's looked great for them this year. Justin Hall still looks like a legitimate top four defenseman. Assuming Muzzin and Riley stay healthy, there's your top four. It's solidified. So what you really need is a forward for that Tavares-Nylander line, I, I would assume, is, is what you're really looking for. Or a third-line center to play in so that you don't have to run a mikheyev engvall Kerfoot line. The thought of that terrifies me in a playoff series. You, that's, you can't go in with that as your third line. So let's do some trade talk right now. Who are you willing to trade as a top prospect? Who is off limits? Are you willing to trade Rodion Amarov? Are you willing to trade Rasmus Sandin, Nicholas Robertson, Timothy Lilligren? I, I feel like the last two you're probably willing to trade. To me, it comes down to Rasmus Sandin and Rodion Amarov. I'm wondering if you're all right giving those two up in the right trade. So I wouldn't even blink trading Lilligren or Robertson. For I don't think matter. anyone would. The Lilligren, I mean, his development hasn't gone the way we would have expected it to. I still think he's progressed much better in the last year than a lot of us have been willing to bring up because none of us are really watching the AHL. 
but you expected Lilligren from his draft year to be a much more explosive offensive player, and he just looks like a decent kind of two-way guy right now. So we'll see on that end, but Dubas said he wants to trade a top prospect for a top rental forward. You'd imagine that would be, what, a first in Rasmus Sandin, a first in Rodion Amarov for a Matthias Ekholm or for a Philip Forsberg, for a Taylor Hall. Are you comfortable giving up that type of asset in terms of the first-round pick in addition to a top prospect, or is that where you walk away? The only guy that would give me like legitimate pause as to trading him, that's a prospect anyway, would be Rasmus Sandin, because I actually think he's really good. Rodin Amarov looks like he's going to be a nice player. We were just talking to him a little bit before we hit record or not talking to him. We were talking about him a little so, yeah, bit. Yeah, I just had him here on before. the Zoom. What's up, Rodion? Yeah, just, yeah, how's your season just, going? Yeah, how's Russia? You know, just a casual conversation going on there. It was, it was um, like 4 a.m. for him. Yeah, no. <laughs> he, he looks like a detailed checker that can move up and down your lineup. I don't think that his ceiling is sky high. I actually think Sandine has a really, like a really good ceiling. That guy can move the puck. He should be able to run a power play. I think he's a little bit sneaky defensively he doesn't mind getting his body in the in the way of other guys and engaging in that way i love the way he defends the rush i love the way he's able to close his gap and transition it's it, the, every frustration i have with morgan riley defensively i don't have with rasmus sandin yet now rasmus sandin needs to get bigger and stronger so that he can win those in tight battles that he's been losing over the last couple of years but when you look at his passing ability the way that he sees the ice you see some higher end potential there you see legitimate top four upside potentially top pairing upside knowing that he's a blue he looks chip like prospect. a minute muncher yeah so that's what teams are going to be looking for right you would imagine that if they're asking for one prospect from toronto it's not timothy lilligren it's rasmus sandin okay if i'm going to be trading my top rental player at the deadline here taylor hall who just got hit in the face with a puck or if i'm trading away philip forsberg or anyone else on nashville I want your best prospect. Are you willing to trade me Rasmus Sandin for a one-year rental of a player and then he walks in free agency? I just don't think that the price should be that high. Not if you're also including a first-round pick. So last year, Taylor Hall got traded um, with Blake Spears to Arizona for Kevin Ball, Nate Schnarr, who I actually think is sneaky good, a conditional first and a conditional third. And then Nick Merkley, who was one of the the guys, he went in the first round. And Kevin Ball, who was one of those guys I just mentioned, went in the second round. Both pretty nice players. I think Nick Merkley will be potentially respectable. He actually has three points in five games in the NHL this year. So good for him. Um, I still Honestly, don't know I didn't if... like that trade when it happened. I remember as they announced the pieces, I was just thinking, oh, there's no blue chip player coming back there. Yeah, and I don't think any of those guys are as good as Rasmus Sandin would be touted to be right this second. And Hall also like doesn't look that good this year, and he doesn't have the luster of the Hart trophy that he won that he did previously, right before I was like, former Hart winner, Taylor Hall. Now it's like, Taylor Hall, guy who goes to team and team who proceeds to lose a lot after he goes to that team, who could have possibly seen that coming when you chose to go to Buffalo? Yeah, no, none of us. No one. No one could have seen that going forward. So ridiculous. Like, is he happy right now? Like, are you happy? Like, I know you, you made money, and, and trust me, I like money too, man, but is are you happy? Is anyone in Buffalo actually happy? I mean, I think you really have to convince yourself that you are. You could have taken $2 million less to go to Colorado, something like that. 
Like you know, but I feel like happy. we bring this up every time with Taylor Hall. We just bring up the fact that he chose Buffalo over over a different city. But he's gonna get a chance to to choose his destiny here. He might want to play for the Leafs. Are you okay giving up Rasmus Sandin one for one for Taylor Hall? One for one, just straight up like that's yeah, the trade. Spitball in here. I would push for any other trade, pretty much of prospects. Like so it would give first me a lot of pause. And Rodian Amarov is that is that now way higher than the price of just Rasmus Sandin? If they if they were like we'll we'll do it for the first and Rodian Amarov would be like okay. Okay, so you see like, Sandin as that much of a better prospect than Amarov. I see Sandin as a guy who like should play on the NHL defense next season. And and he'll have a role that expands as time goes on. Like it takes defensemen a long time. Like look at Travis Dermott. People were going nuts about him before. Like these guys take a while. But the defensemen who truly impact the game in terms of let's say a top pairing level of defensemen and even strength, they come into the NHL at nineteen or twenty and they do well right away. I remember looking up a shot suppression for Morgan Riley a few years ago because I was wondering, is this something that if you come into the league at 20, do you get better at it at 23 or 24? And the guys like Doughty, Subban, uh, Carlson, all the top defenders at the time, when they first came into the league, their shot suppression numbers were good, and they stayed good. When Riley came into the league, his shot suppression numbers were bad, and they stayed bad. So even though defensemen, there's a, I want to say a steeper learning curve, especially in the defensive side of the ice, I think when it comes to their ability to impact the game and impact puck possession, I think we see that a lot quicker than, than you tend to realize. And for what it's worth, Rasmus Sandin, in his limited sample, looks like a solid play driver at the NHL level. It just needs to be sheltered at this point. I would just say I, I wouldn't be putting him in the tier of like the Drew Doughty's, Eric Carlson's and of the I'm world. sorry to, for I'd, making it sound like that. I don't think he's yeah, that tier of defenseman I'd, either. I'd be trying to look to compare to the guys who became top four defensemen after a little bit, or you know, they took a little bit of time. I think he'll be in, in that tier where he'll work his way up. A little bit, but I think it'll be quick. I, I don't think it, it would be like season. So, you know, a ready-made prospect at a premium position, at a low cap hit for this team, at a position of need, all those things, I'd be like, no, this is a guy I actually just want to keep more than anything else. You know, Amaroff, Robertson, could be nice players, all that fun stuff. If the Leafs need a winger, go and sign one for a couple million dollars. That's kind of where I'm at on those guys. Can they afford that, though, given their cap constraints? Especially if there's a Zach Hyman deal that you're signing this summer. Or not summer, I guess it's going to be fall. I don't know when the offseason is anymore. But then they'd be fine if they signed Zach Hyman, right? Or they, they still pay Kerfoot $3.5 million. And well, I don't think Kerfoot's going to be on the roster a month from now. We'll see. So, yeah, he he's the prime. I think we can agree that he is the prime roster player to go it's is he a negative asset at this point when you consider his on ice impact his salary and the fact that everyone knows the Leafs need to trade him if they want to bring in salary yeah I mean I've I've kind of like (laughs) I've been on this train for a while now and I couldn't believe some of the uh positive um I guess credit he was getting for playing 3c early on in the season there were some real losers who wrote pro Kerfoot articles right after the trade. Just, I can't imagine anyone who would take the time to do video and numbers and try to justify this guy being a positive impact transition player. Like, get out of here, nerds. Who's writing those articles? Who would have thought? But more, I was more concerned with the stuff that uh, was, you know, people were watching early on. They're like, yeah, like Kerfoot looks like a third line center. Like he looks like a guy who's playing with Zach Hyman. That's what he looks like. And when you when you take Zach Hyman off that line. 
And, you know, I think Kerfoot's playing still to, like, right this second, he's playing to roughly, like, a 30, 35-point pace. And he's played, like, half of this shortened season in the top six. Like, a ton of time with, like, super elite players. The numbers with Tavares Nylander are very good. They're controlling, I want to say, two-thirds of the shots and chances with those guys. Small sample, but Kerfoot, Tavares Nylander, we know that works, which is the one reason you might keep Kerfoot and instead address that third-line center problem because then you can go with a Mikheyev Engvall centered by Michael Granlund, let's say. And that's a line that you're comfortable with. Part of the reason that line pops to people is because previously it was really Jimmy VC playing there. So it's like Kerfoot's better than VC, And so yeah, it just ultimately... Let's raise the bar really high here, guys. Like, I still think that bar is low for what that line should be. I think that's... So it's interesting because as we talk about, so we talked a little bit. So we basically said, at least I said, I'd basically trade any prospect other than Sandine, unless it would be for a guy with term. If it was Philip Forsberg, I'd feel a little bit different because he signed for another year. Or Matthias Ekholm, who, by the way, I know we're talking about forwards, but Ekholm's such a great asset on that cap hit, $3.75 million for a guy who's a legitimate top pair defenseman. Like, yeah, you take that and you give up premium assets to acquire it. Yeah, right. Like, I think that's a little bit more of that that conversation but for for 10 regular season games of taylor hall and a playoff run i just i can't i can't wrap my head around it now if it's a season if it's like the 10 plus the playoffs plus all next season i you know then i could be like okay i i at least i get it now but so we talked a little about who we would give up but what kind of players or who specifically would you be looking at and i know you just mentioned matthias ekholm so who beyond that catches your eye so if you're the Leafs right now, I think you need to do what the Vegas Golden Knights have done for the last couple of years, which is they realize that they're in a cup window. We have a chance to win right now. We need to trade away future wins for current wins. That's how we maximize our chances of winning a cup. The Leafs right now, like we said, are going to have their best chance to win a Stanley Cup maybe ever this season just because of the weird format, because of the way that the COVID season has Given them, I don't want to say a buy because we're going to bring up a few teams in the Canadian division who are going to cause them some problems in the playoffs or have a chance to cause them some significant problems. But it's their best chance to advance past the first round, past the second round. You know, third and fourth round are going to be a lot trickier, but they almost get a buy through these first two rounds because of how easy the division is. In, in I don't know if they of, do anymore. Well, I, I maybe really not, don't. But if you look at any kind of model who, who tries to assess uh, team strength and do it for all 31 teams in the league and go, okay, which teams have the best chance of advancing to the second round, third round, fourth round? Moneypuck.com gives Toronto, I think, as of right now, the best chance to win the Stanley Cup, and it's because of their path. It's not because Toronto is the best team in their model. It's because Toronto has the easiest path to the final. I think they do have a chance to, like, obviously go on that, like, relatively easy run, all things considered, for the playoffs. But here's, here's the ultimate thing. And let's never forget this, ever, 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 ever. This is the Toronto Maple Leafs. They do nothing easy, ever. They don't. Has any team who's won a championship ever done it the exact way that you picture it happening? There's usually no, a but lot they of usually weird have a sweep. The they usually have a sweep though, or a five game, like a five game. Is that true? I'd love to test that. I'd love to go back and check that. They usually go back and look. Almost all, like there's a few that don't. Like the LA Kings had that. Um, well, actually, they had that one where they got to the Stanley Cup final in like 13 games or something. It was insane. Um, but I thought their other one that they had a, a tough, like a long run. When the other cup, the other one that they went to, I think they played like 
Anaheim, San, like prime Anaheim, prime San Jose, prime Chicago. Was and that the year they got, were down 0-3 in the first round? Yeah, and then they got back and they played the Rangers in the final, and Drew Doughty was like, this was the easiest series of our playoffs, which was hilarious and also true. A-plus um, trash talker, Drew Doughty. I'll never forget that because in our, like my family hockey pool, I had drafted a bunch of Blackhawks, and my dad had drafted a bunch of Kings, and that series went to seven. Of that course, was one of the best playoff series I've ever watched. Unbelievable. Like, unbelievable. And, of of course, we know who won. And I just, I was beyond upset, of course, because I had realized I had a bunch of Rangers, too, that year. So I was about to coast I was to say, the you final. probably did pretty well that year. <laughs> so I was actually winning it. And then, but then my dad's guys all on LA advanced. And I was like, this is over. And he's like, no, it's not over. I was like, don't patronize me with this shit. We all know what's going to happen in the final. LA is going to run them over. They did. He won the pool. He got the money. I got second. I got my money back. It was New garbage. York did steal a game or two in there. But getting back to what we were talking about. Usually teams have, like, they usually have it, it, like a gimme, gimme round. Because it just helps them stay healthy. It helps them rest. If you go back and look, there's a lot of, like, a four or five game first round. I mean, what did Columbus, uh, what did Tampa do to Columbus? They, they played Jersey or something. Who did Man. Tampa play in the first round last year? Why am I blanking on it? It, it wasn't Columbus because the Leafs faced. No, Columbus. they played Columbus in the in the in the technically the first round, and I think they beat Columbus in like five. Didn't they get a bye because they were one of the top four teams? Yeah, and then they they made tidy work of Columbus, and then they went on with their life. We need to get back to the Leafs. We need. I know this is a Leafs podcast, so all, all of that junk I was bringing up before is that this is a win now season yeah. for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You're in win now mode. Austin Matthews is on your team right now. John Tavares is on your team right now. We're not sure what's going to be the case three years down the road, but we do know that right now we have a great chance to win a Stanley Cup. What does Vegas do when that happens? They trade away their top prospect, Nick Suzuki, so that they can get a Max Pacioretty. They trade away a top prospect in Eric Brandstrom so that they can bring in a Mark Stone. They, they're looking to trade away any asset they can to bring in someone who can help you win right now. So if you're the Leafs, even though you love a Nick Robertson or you love a Rodian Amarov, you might even love Erasmus Sandin, but if the price is right and you can bring in, whether it's a Taylor Hall, a Philip Forsberg, I'm trying to think of another first-line quality player who's available right now. Because as great as, as great as it would be to bring in a second-line player or a third-line player, I just want the best player available on the market right now. And I guess I'll ask that to you. Who is it right now? Well, I said it was Forsberg before, so I'm going to stick with Forsberg just as an Especially overall when you take player. Term, when you take term into account, yeah, two years. And, and I just think I think Forsberg's a beast. I really do. Like he's he's amazing. Um, I, got I think a lot I brought up the fact him. that I think I said that he was a right winger last week, and someone messaged me. They said, "No, he plays on the left side as yeah. a right shot." And yeah. I'm I'm thinking in my head, "Oh, well, there's the Sheldon Keith thing again." That I guess if you're talented enough, it doesn't really matter what side you're on. Yes, I mean some guys are they're super particular, but Forsberg could easily play like easily play with Matthews and Marner on what would be a pretty pretty good first line. See, I'm um, picturing Forsberg and Nylander just doing crazy stuff in transition. Yeah, a Swedish connection. I wonder if uh, if they have some sort of time together growing up at, at any point in that, you know, career arc. But the uh, actually, mind you, William Nylander was born in Calgary, so probably I was going to say good Calgary yeah. boy, William Nylander. Yeah. Um, so I actually looked at – I was actually thinking of a few lesser guys failing the big trade because – um, I still ultimately feel like Nashville's probably not going to trade uh, Forsberg away. I think they'll probably try to keep him, which I actually think is a bad decision by them, but 
neither here nor there. And I'm not, I'm just not sure about Taylor Hall as an overall. I don't know. I, he, he kind of fits in that mold where the Leafs have had of these guys. And like, he's good, but he kind of gives me some pauses. I don't know if that's I, another... I still think Taylor Hall, John Tavares, William Nylander is your second line just would be so awesome in a playoff series. Yeah, but we would have thought just purely John Tavares, William Nylander is your second line would be good. And we spent like half the season being like, hmm, what's, what's going on here? With Kerfoot, it's decent. And I feel like, yeah. you know, if, if Kerfoot's there and they can control over 60% of the shots and chances, I think you're they're doing all right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just something in my I don't know. I I don't have a, a great logical explanation for it, but it gives me pause. Tavares but, hasn't looked like John Tavares this year. That's fair. Yeah, here's here's one guy I would just I would make the call just to see, just to see. Like, and it's gonna sound so ridiculous off the top. So don't don't hold me to this in any capacity. Jack Eichel. I'm trying to. Who are no, you thinking? No, no, no. Uh. And it's and it's a it's an older guy. It's a vet. Uh, but he is a pending free agent, and I was just kind of like snooping around cap friendly and and looking at who is coming. But legitimately, I would call Anaheim and just ask, like, does Ryan Getzlaff just want to chill down mm, there the whole time? Interesting. Like, is he at Joe all Thornton, interested? Jason Spezza, yeah. these aging guys who are really it's, good passers. The rest of their game's kind of faded, but they have the skill. They can you yeah. know, be the third best player on a line and complete the passing sequence. Don't he hate can't it. do it every night, but I think much like we've seen with Spezza and Thornton, he can dial it up a little bit at certain times he'll be an asset he'll be a good vet all of these things i would just make the call and ask i wouldn't expect would they have much. to buy him out and then you pick him up in some kind of weird way or do you find I, a way I mean, to make he's that... making over eight mil so you'd have to be like anaheim you guys are gonna eat half the money here and here's kerfoot and, yeah and here's <laughs> kerfoot and that pretty much matches the money at that point right plus a prospect or whatever and Plus, whatever the Leafs have accrued this season in terms of salary cap. I don't understand the CBA to the extent where I know how much money it is. This is more of a, I'm deferring to Brandon Pridham in this situation. Do you have any idea how much they actually have saved up in terms of from the start of the season to right now? How how much the Leafs actually have to spend at the deadline? I'd I'd have to look uh, just to to be clear, but not off the top of my head. But just so that we're clear, like Ryan Getzlaff is just an absolute monster on the walls even still to this day I 11 know the production. points in 27 games last year 42 points in 69 games 48 points in 67 games the year before that this isn't the ryan gets left you remember your your favorite his course is over 56 percent this year let's go he's a joe thornton he's he's a puck possession beast and he's not even getting loaded with offensive zone face-offs there it's not like they're just being like okay like you're like you can only like start on that end of the ice. Like he's getting minutes, and I think and... Fortin's actually a really interesting comparable because he does he can't skate anymore, but he's an excellent passer who's struggling to produce at an elite level. But if you played him with Tavares Nylander, or if you played him with Matthews Marner, could he be the third guy who keeps the passing going, keeps you in the offensive zone, keeps you circling, and R- Morgan Riley's flying around behind the net, TJ Brody's on the other side of the ice. You could have a hilarious second power play unit of Getzlaff, Thornton, and Spezza with Zach Hyman Wayne in front of Wayne Simmons net. in front. No, Wayne Simmons, Simmons in front. Like, Go throwback. Everybody's old. Yeah. yeah, just the whole group. And you put Muzzin on the point just because at that point you're like, I have to on nostalgia alone. How many veterans can we get out there? How many beards can we get on the ice? Yeah, you might even pull Freddie at that point just to get another vet on the group. But that and I would... put him back in on the fly like Sheldon Keefe did the other night. That was so awesome. We need to I... talk about that at some point. 
I would I would look at him though. I would I would give him a call. I don't think he has any interest of leaving Anaheim. I don't know if you could lure him with the whole Toronto Maple Leafs thing. Maybe you could. Maybe that guy's hungry to win another one. He's only won one. I think it'd be an interesting I think he would be a really nice player to add to a group that's trying to win in the playoffs. That's someone I no. genuinely hadn't thought of, but I can see where you're thinking and what Spezza and Fortin have made me think more about is the fact that passing is additive. Passing is something that if you add it to a lineup that already has a lot of skill, it's not going to take away from that skill. You're not going to lose the puck because this guy just can't make a play with the puck on his stick. Yeah, Joe Thornton, when he's on the ice, he's the third best player on his line. He might be the fifth best player on the ice. But because he can complete the next pass, a team like Toronto, who's built entirely on puck possession... They get to keep the puck, they get to keep a passing sequence going, and then when the puck eventually does land on the stick of a talented forward in a good spot, that's a great chance to create offense. I like this get slap idea. I hadn't thought about this before, and you're making me think more and more about it. And I, The more I think about it, the more I like it. And and there was another thing that, that Dubas said that was kind of interesting today in his press conference. He was talking about adding the veterans, and he talked about that as an area of focus. And it's this has kind of bothered me over the past few years because because some of these words or terms uh, almost get mocked. Like, like it's it's gone too far the other way. There was there was a point where you know people were trying to achieve them to ridiculous levels and they weren't even using logic as to whether a player was terrible or not. When you're giving but, four years of term to Matt Martin for leadership, that's where someone like me will bring up. Well, couldn't you have got that on one or two years of term? Like, what are you doing here? Yeah, you outbid yourself there. Like, that's just you've outbid yourself. But the way that you know some of the stuff had been bandied about. But when they asked Dubis about them, and this is a direct quote, I'm going to read it out from today. He said, "I do think that is a real important part of helping the team, team chemistry, and the culture and environment of the group." Those guys don't change day to day. They have added a lot to us so far. And I think I he's think referring there really to important. Zach Bogosian, a Wayne Simmons, a Joe Thornton, uh, in previous years, a Patrick Marlowe. And for what it's worth, and I think a lot of the times nerds like me tend to underestimate the impact of uh, any quote unquote intangible in the locker room leadership. I think sometimes in hockey, there's uh, often a tendency to overrate it and to give a guy six years of term in free agency because he's a great leader. And then you look back and go, crap, can he play hockey? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to, I think, especially on like a contract with term where you kind of are trying to shoehorn a guy in, it doesn't really make much sense to me that they could come in and change anything other than on ice to start. And then, you know, maybe eventually they, they can impact those things. Like otherwise it's like, when Chicago brought in Marion Hosa, it wasn't like, hey, come be a leader. We're going to put a C on your chest. It was like, come be a sick hockey player. And, you know, the rest of it will kind of flow. And that's that's the way that you should do it, right? Same thing when it's they... It's kind of my Taylor Hall argument where it's like, hey, if you bring in this elite talent, I know you have concerns about him, but if you throw him on the ice with more talent, then won't you win more? And then winning creates a good culture. You know, this kind of chicken or egg situation where people are, oh, we didn't win much because we didn't have a good culture. And, oh, the reason we won is because we had a good culture. And I don't know. So I think a lot of the times that if you're if you're winning, you'll be happy. And if you're not winning, you won't be happy. I'll be very curious what happens with, like, I assume that he'll get traded. So I'll be very curious what happens in terms of, you know, the next steps after he goes to his next team. is It, it, it almost feels like, just based on what's happened this season, that it's either going to be he, he lights it up 
like he blows up. Like he just he goes on an absolute heater. He's just so happy to be out of Buffalo, Scoring and he just over rips a point it up per game. Pays his last few games of the season. Yeah, and everyone's gonna be like, "Well, no shit." Like it's Taylor Hall, and now he's on a good team. Or conversely, he's gonna keep doing what he's doing in Buffalo right now, which he hasn't been overly but productive. Shoot like two percent. Right, but like just overall, I'm saying like the overall production won't be there, and then people will be like, "Yeah, we told you like this guy like just like the stench of him." Like it, it doesn't seem like there will be an in between. It'll be either like the stench of this guy and he stinks, and or like yeah, he's Taylor Hall, he's amazing. I'm not saying either one is true. He probably falls somewhere in between, but um, it just feels like one of those two things is going to happen with him wherever he goes. But I'll give you a lesser name that I also would consider that I think is a nice, more in that second line territory, but I think he could complement that Tavares, Nylander line, or even the Matthews line quite well, who's also pending unrestricted free agent, but younger, is Alex Ifalo, who I quite like on LA. Oh. I think he's a nice player. Why would they give him up, though? Isn't he in that age range where they'd probably want to keep him? He's a UFA, so I don't know if they'll be oh, like... okay. I don't know if they'll just say, eh, uh, we, we're not going to come to a deal with him. And so he kind of falls under that category, but he's a UFA LA, already, man. He's sneaky old. See, I'm, I'm picturing him in his mid twenties, but no, he's 27 now. Yep. Right. And LA has a chance to make the playoffs legitimately. And they have a number of players having a really nice year. So there's a chance they just hold them and, and see how it goes. But if he's available, I would definitely kick around on him because I don't think the price for him will be insanely high. Will general manager Drew Doughty be okay with that. <laughs> that like, they'll be interesting. Cause I, I think, those guys want to like they've they've been really good their vets this year and they probably want to get rewarded so i don't know if they'll trade him but i would be curious i would definitely make the call and ask there and the last guy we and i know we both like him and i think this is a little bit more of a need than we're giving it credit for i think the defense needs help like they're they're one injury away from like sandine and like dermot in the top four and an injury away from martin marinchin putting on a leafs jersey baby and and hey, let's not forget, like like Muzzin, if Muzzin doesn't get hurt, I'm fairly confident they beat Columbus. And they shouldn't be just a Jake Muzzin injury away from not beating Columbus last year. And that defense I mean, was a little it's messy. tough when he's your most important defenseman at five on five. A hundred percent. And they've done a little bit, you know, adding in Brody another year for Hole, like a little bit more to supplement it. But I would be concerned if anyone in their top four went down. I really would. And I, I don't know if, like, you're not going to move Zach Bogosian up and maybe you could squint and justify to yourself that Travis Dermott can move up and, and yeah, be Yeah, because I'm guy. picturing a Dermott-Hall pairing that will get more second yeah. pairing usage. I could see it working. Which is what happened in, against Columbus, and it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't great. Yeah, yeah, so I just I would want a better option in place. And I so the, the name that you know I had mentioned to you before, and I, I know you're a big fan, is I would definitely be calling Arizona about Nicholas Hajarmelson. He I think it's come. pronounced Yalmerson. I've been pronouncing it wrong my whole life. Jalmerson. Yeah. 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 Zero Please. offense intended. I'm sorry if I mispronounced it. I have no clue. But Over the last decade, he might have the best expected goals against rate among defensemen. He's just His numbers have always been through the roof when it comes to limiting the other team from getting chances from that high slot area. He's always been one of those just defensive defensemen who, by the way, his – Puck moving numbers are among the lowest in the league. He can't complete a pass. He launches it off the glass and out every single time. But he's Fine so good me. at killing penalties, at blocking shots, at taking away passing lanes, at doing all those little things that help prevent the that help prevent goals. Basically, I'm not sure 
if he's still someone that you'd love, though? Because I know he got lit up in the playoffs last year. Is that just a COVID bubble situation where you, you try not to take too much out of it? Uh, when the Leafs were looking for a partner for Morgan Riley in the last few years, Chris Tanev was someone who always came to mind. Nicholas Yalmerson was always someone who came to mind. Because, again, who can you play on that right side and can defend? Because Morgan Riley can't really defend, so if you give him a partner who can be a defensive specialist, maybe you get the most out of him. It's been working pretty well with TJ Brody, but I think the perfect Leafs lineup for me is Muzzin Brody, Riley, and a new defensive defenseman, and then Dermot Hall. I really like the way that that would work. And in this case, Yalmerson would fit in next to Riley. What do you think you'd have to give up to get him? I don't even think you'd have to give up a top prospect at this point. No, I don't think so either. And I think that'd be part of the draw. And, you know, what I liked is not some of the number, some of the things that you just mentioned, you know, he can still kill penalties. He's a guy you could be like, I want you to close this period out in the final shift. I, You know, you're going to get a shift in the final two minutes while we're protecting this lead. And we're going to feel generally pretty good that you're out there. And it, they, it does feel like they're a defenseman short in that capacity when it comes to Jake muzzling a game. Yeah, they definitely are. And and you look right and, and you know, we're just talking about this one specific player, but and, and he can play left and right side. But like I said, like their their top four is very stagnant. And if if they want to sit there and say our top four is sick, uh, I think that's to I think that's to their detriment. I think they have to be prepared for an injury. I don't think that they are prepared right now for an injury. We are like Rasmus Sandin's not even healthy right now. Like we're potentially an injury away from Martin Marinson going back into the lineup. And I, I joked we, about it, and I'm, I'm dead serious. Like it's going to happen at some point. <laughs> and I know that we spoke about it a podcast or two ago. I was like, if Martin Marinson's your your seventh defenseman, you're not good. Like that can't happen. I do wonder if Sandine Liljegren get a look later in the season. Probably not. Again, because they like that Dermot Bogosian third pair so much. But I do wonder if there's an injury if they try something like that out. I feel bad for them because in a shortened year, it's hard to justify. Like in an, in an 82 game year, you're like, yeah, let's throw this guy a game and just see. Just see, right? Like, who cares? Let's just throw him a game. But when the season gets shortened, you're kind of like, the games matter. Like, they, it feels like they matter more, which is what I like about the shortened season as a general concept. But when it comes to getting a kid a look when you're in a situation like the Leafs are, like, first place is not a cakewalk right now. Like, they're going to be in a Especially battle. Especially after the last stretch of play, the season, the, the standings are a lot tighter than they used to be. And it matters because it impacts who you play in the final four. The final four is based on like a reseeding of the teams that are there based on points. Doesn't matter what seed you are in the Canadian division one through four. Cause I mean, home ice advantage isn't really going to matter. I don't think. I think it matters. It's all, it's all line matching. Like I don't care about crowds. I care about. Oh, okay. Cause matching. I was going to say, I don't know how many fans we're going to have in like what 20% capacity. If that, Yeah, which would be cool to be honest, but I hope we get to a stage where that is safe, but we'll see. Yeah. I really, really hope so. But I think the line matching definitely matters. I think for the Leafs, depending on what their defense is looking like and who you're matching up against, there definitely matters. Um, anything you do, give yourself an edge, right? Like the margins are so thin in the playoffs. So anything that you can do, and we're still seeing it now. Like home teams are generally still winning more than road teams this season. Even but is it to fans. the degree that it was in the past? I think that it's less than it has been. So like, let's say you got a 5% boost for home mice advantage in the past. I think it's closer to two or three right now. I'd have to, I'll, I'd have to verify with Dom. Dom Lucian is always my kind of go-to and stuff like that. If I said, here's a dollar, do you want 98 cents on it? Or do you want 102 cents on it? What would you pick? 
And this is why Anthony wants the Leafs <laughs> to finish in first in the division so that they can maximize their chances of winning a cup. I like it. I like it. Um, the Leafs in the playoffs are going to have to go through two teams. I think we suspect that Montreal is probably going to be one of those teams. Trying yeah. to figure out who the other team is right now is difficult. I was looking at Micah Blake McCurdy's projections on who's going to make the playoffs. Looks like it's going to be tight between Edmonton, Calgary, and Winnipeg. Maybe Winnipeg finishes a bit stronger, especially if they trade for a defenseman. I think they're a Matthias Ekholm trade away from being really scary as a team. Yeah, they, they need something on the left side there. But if they if they get it, I'm worried. When it comes to Calgary, since hiring Daryl Sutter, they look awesome at five on five. Their four check, it's relentless. It reminds you of that LA Kings style of play. Now they don't have prime Anze Kopitar and they don't have prime Drew Doughty. But they do have a few really good players. And when you look at the way that they send their first two forwards in to completely harass the opposing team's defensemen, and then the third forward's there to scoop up passes, the defensemen are backing it all up. They're dominating the run of play. The uh, opposing teams can't even get the puck back. They can't get the puck past center ice. It's a Daryl Sutter coach team. That's the type of style that works well against a team like the Leafs in the playoffs. I know Dom, who I just mentioned before, he wrote an article I think this was right around the time the Leafs were facing the Blue Jackets. And he looked up uh, previously throughout NHL history, uh, elite offensive teams versus elite defensive teams in the playoffs. Who has the, uh, the edge? And it turns out that defensive teams do win more games than you would tend to expect in those situations because elite defense has an ability to neutralize elite offense at a higher level than I think most of us would expect. So I fully expect that. And the other read, I don't know if you touched on it or if you were going to touch on it, but one thing I would say as to why that happens is because defense is easily repeatable. Like it's hard to be like an unreal goal scorer all the time, but it's, it's, it's easier if you have a down pat to consistently be really, really good defensively systems and structure. If it's in place yeah. from one, to the next and this is where five on five shot metrics are much more repeatable from one game to the next whereas shooting percentage and save percentage they vary like crazy so again like you said if you're um, a Patrick Lane or if you're a player who relies entirely on their shot you're going to see crazy waves in performance but if you rely more on your all-around play driving ability like a Sean Couturier you're going to be more consistent from game to game yeah and so you'd mentioned Calgary I was watching them last night against Edmonton and after the first period and five minutes into the second, I think Edmonton had like five shots on net or something to that point. And uh, I, Daryl Sutter is a really good coach. He always has been. It, Breaking you know, news. Yeah, and I think I think what had happened and why he got the the bad rep is because he GM Daryl Sutter is brutal, right? And when he was GM in Calgary, Marion Gabbert contract. Yeah, some of those deals they were handing out towards the end there were not good ideas. Yeah, well he well. I, um in calgary he did i think he would have been the one that made the dion Phaneuf trade um did he probably sign the jay bowmeister contract of you know a few of them like that take us way back here yeah like there were he did some stuff right so sometimes people are like oh daryl sutter this old guy i don't care how old daryl sutter is that guy can coach hockey like calgary should not have been as bad as they were performing they lack, you know, other than probably Goudreau, they probably, you know, they really don't have that like high end kind of guy, but they're deep. Like they've got, they've got a deep forward group. They have a number of guys I like in there. Before the show, we were talking about Calgary. We were just bringing up forwards who we liked. And I was like, oh, Manjapane, I love that guy. You brought up uh, Dylan, Dylan Dubé. Dubé. He's a good player. Josh Levo is a sneaky, good bottom six player. Can put the puck in the net. Kachuk, Backlund is good. Matthew Kachuk on a Daryl Sutter coach team. 
that's dominating play in the offensive zone and is heavy on the forecheck, and in a playoff series where you can get away with a little bit more, that is absolutely frightening. Takes me back to when Dustin Brown was leading the league in penalties drawn. I'm just picturing Matthew Kachuk now under Daryl Sutter. It could get it could get scary if you're the opposition facing the Calgary Flames in a playoff series. That's and not a team that I'd Bennett. love to go up against. Playoff oh, Bennett, shut if up. he's back. Oh my god. If I, hey, I'm so sick of the name Sam Bennett. I do not want. <laughs> first, first round this year, this guy's gonna crank like eight points in six games. Neilander's like gonna go six big like scoreless. Hits. Yeah, you know, we talking about. Oh, I mean, where's the real Man, heart? You know, the trade is one for one. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> So, yeah, I think Calgary's a concern. <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, long story short. Daryl, the Flames look good. If you have a chance after a Leafs game or it's late at night and you don't know what to watch, put on a Flames game and just check out their forecheck. It's crazy. They're right on top of you. They don't give you room to break out. And if you do get the puck out of your end, it's going to a Rasmus Anderson or a Mark Giordano or a Noah Hannafin who has tons of room in open space to get a pass going back the other way. I really love the way that they have things structured after only a couple games under Daryl Sutter. And they arguably have the second best goalie in the division. You have Hellebuck one, you have Markstrom two? Possibly. It's Demko looks unreal right now. Yeah, and it's hard with a large sample on him. It's hard to know with guys who are that age, but he might just have a season here that's awesome. And, you know, if he's he's on a tear, he's blacking out right now. So we'll see. Where does Frederick Anderson rank in the Canadian division uh, in terms of starting goaltenders? So I was actually looking, and Carey Price is on a heater right now, too, eh? (laughs) So you have Carey Price ahead of Frederick Anderson right now, I guess, just based on what he's done in the past, but. It's funny because with Anderson, I, I get mad about Price because I go, oh, you're just thinking of what he was in the past. You're not paying attention to what he's done lately. But then with Anderson, I'm constantly backing up. Hey, he's done this over the last five years. He's done it over the last four years. And then when people use stats over the last season and a half, I get frustrated because I go, oh, no, you're just you're, you're only selecting what, what fits your narrative. But it's the same argument I make about price. It's just because I'm constantly paying attention to the Leafs. I'm trying to find a way to justify Frederick Anderson being a good goalie. Goalies are weird, man. It's really tough, right? Because if you were going to say, who do you want for one game? I would still definitely say Carey Price. I I would. A lot of people would say that. Right? One game. I mean, Freddie just has never really proven it when it comes to the big ones. And uh, I hate that narrative with goalies and with any position, really. I mean, Clayton Kershaw and pitching, that's one of those things where it's like, hey, you're an elite regular season player, but when the playoffs come, are you going to get it done? So sometimes I think it's overblown. And I I follow baseball quite a bit. and, And Kershaw, I definitely thought it was overblown. But Freddie has been, like, objectively, he has let in really bad goals consistently in big games in, in like in big moments in the third period where you're uh, I've done those I've done those post game articles I've done them where I have to evaluate his performance in that game and I go yeah. <sighs> you couldn't just make that one extra save that's what we were looking for here but yeah. uh, I, I then, don't I don't want to get too lost here on, on this topic I think we should move on to overreaction underreaction let's see if we can get out of right. here in under an hour I think okay. we can do it yeah all right overreaction underreaction are we overreacting or underreacting to the Miko Lettinen trade for my boy? And I'm going to mispronounce it. Uh, Veni Vevelinen. I think I got it, but yeah, it's tough. So I'm, I'm going to say underreacting, and it's really mainly for the things that I was just previously saying about the defense, which is to say, I think they lacked up. Like they, unless, like, I assume that they're going to go acquire a guy now. If they don't, 
I'm concerned. And I'm not saying that Lettinen absolved them of the depth issue, but I kind of like him. I thought Sandine would be a better player than Lettinen at 5-5. On five. It's interesting. Like, I, it's tough to say with Lettinen because I actually do think that, that he can play in the league. I've, I've kind of said that from the start. Like, he... He's, he's just a quarterback of power play. He can quarterback a top unit. Like, he's yeah. good at that skill. And he's got a good shot, and he can move around a little bit. And, I, I, you know, he didn't look like a deer in the headlight. He didn't look like Barabanov in his first few games. Like he, or Even if just, like, you're trailing late in the game, you need someone to throw out their offensive zone starts. He's a guy who I think, yeah, he's talented. He can help us get some goals. Even if he's not someone that I trust defensively against the other team's best players, he's a guy who has some talent. And I'm curious to see how Columbus uses him because he has the ability to impact games at 5-on-4. 5-on-5, questionable, but we'll see. Yeah, and ultimately I just look at it from the Leafs' end. I don't know if the goal going into the season was Zach Bogosian plays every game. You know, I think he's had a little bit of a rough go the past week or so. It'd be nice. You know, Leafs have a number of vets, to be honest, where it would be nice where it's like take a night off. Yeah, why is 41-year-old Joe Thornton playing back-to-backs? That doesn't make any sense to me. You know, Jason Spezza, Bogosian looks like it at times too. Sometimes and, Muzz in the odd game, you're thinking, can we get this yeah. guy a rest? You know? Yeah. He <laughs> looks like hockey he looks decade. the oldest of all of them sometimes, which is stunning in so many ways. But I think it's the face shield. That's the yeah. problem. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's a little bit of an underreaction because I think people are just like, oh, here's this trade, whatever. But I'm like, okay, but there, there better be a follow-up move here. I am overreacting to this trade because I've been obsessed with Vinny Vevelainen for – like five years dating back to 2016 when I was just trying to do draft research. I'm trying to look into guys who no one's looking into. And I'm like, okay, fifth, sixth, seventh round flyers. Who am I looking for? And I find this goalie who's, you know, an overager who has a 925 save percentage or whatever in a lot of games in the Finnish league. And I'm thinking, wait, this guy has good numbers in the Finnish pro league. I'm like, no other prospect has that. Why not pick him in the sixth or seventh round? That seems like a good bet. No one does it in 2016. No one does it in 2017. Finally, in 2018, the Columbus Blue Jackets take a flyer on him later in the draft. And I'm sending out a tweet that no one cares about because it's this random Finnish goalie. But we've reached the point now where he's over 100 starts in the Finnish Pro League. I want to say he's at 141 in total. He's at, he has a 922 save percentage in, in those games. Does that guarantee that he's going to be a good NHL goalie? No, but it's a good indicator of future success. If you look at goaltenders in the Finnish League, with over 100 starts and over a 920 save percentage. Most of them didn't become NHL goalies, but a lot of them did. And to me, I'm thinking, okay, I, I need that here. I need something where I can throw him in my AHL system. I can throw him at my number four on the goalie depth chart, and there's a chance he could be something. I think that's what Vanny Vevelanian is. I, I don't think he's you know, nothing special. He's, what, six feet tall, six one, not super athletic, but he has a track record of success in a pro league, and that's what I care about goaltending is a complete mystery and anybody who says otherwise is lying to you so i appreciate that it's like hey let's just get a goalie and throw it against the wall and see if it sticks they yeah, need like, to is he a, is he is he a lankinen is he a capo kakinen or whatever that guy's name is there are a few finnish goaltenders who have come over recently who put up similar numbers to vaini vevelainen and are performing well maybe vevelainen can perform well we all see what's happening with Freddie. It's no secret here. So if they're like, hey, we got to start acquiring guys and, you know, gearing up for the next the next episode here, it's smart. You're trying to find someone who can tandem with Jack Campbell, and right now no one really knows who that is. Uh, so that might be a topic for another day. Uh, one more overreaction, underreaction I got here. Nylander's time on ice. 
I think we're so, underreacting to the fact that he's probably played the best hockey of his life this last month, or at least these last couple weeks, and he's still getting like 15 minutes a game. I don't get it at all. Yeah, I so against Winnipeg, he had what Sheldon Keefe called like his best game, basically. And I was like, huh, let's go see what he played. And he played 16-04. And as a quick aside, if you're a reporter and you are in that scrum and Sheldon Keefe says William Nylander played his best game and your follow-up question isn't, why did he play 16 minutes then? What are you doing? Is this where we make fun of reporters? No, it's not making fun of. It's like, (laughs) let's get back to some tough questions here. Like, let's be a little active listening. I find I that really to, frustrating because I saw there are a bunch... some reporters who do it. You have like Kristen Shilton, who always in the past, like no one would ask Mike Babcock a tough question because everyone was terrified of him. And then Kristen Shilton would ask the question that everyone was actually thinking about. So I try to give props to reporters who yeah. do do it. But I know what you're saying when it comes to sometimes it seems like uh, the media will just be trying to be buddy buddy with the players and the coach because they don't want to rub them the wrong way. It's a tough balance to strike. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I, I do these podcasts. I do a post game report card. I don't talk with the players or the or the coaches or anything. So I don't know if I'm one to to throw shade here. As a very quick aside, before I get back to this ice time point, to which we are underreacting about it, by the way, did you see the press conference last night after Wash Washington beat Buffalo six nothing with Ralph Kruger? Poor and guy. I don't I don't really like the content that Mike Harrington churns out on a day-to-day basis, but he started off that press conference and he basically said, it looks like the team has quit on you. What do you think? And then Ralph Kruger gave some answer that was like, no, I don't really think it's like, I don't think they've quit on me, blah, blah, blah. And then he followed it up and dug deeper and it was like, well, my opinion, they've quit on you. So what are like, what are you even doing at this point? So what we're saying is that more reporters need to be like Mike Harrington. No, what we're saying is they have to hold guys accountable sometimes when they speak things. So back to this point, I'm like, if you played basically your best game of the season, probably your best game as a Leaf, and you still only saw 16 minutes, and you're William Nylander, you're not like, it's not Pierre Engvall played his best game. It's not Jimmy Vc played Patan his best game. Nick came in and played his best yeah. game. Yeah, It's not Travis random Boyd. guy had a night. It's guy we pay $7 million and is really good at hockey had a really, really good night, and he played 16 minutes a night. But if you're Nylander at that point, aren't you looking at him yourself and being like, what do I have to do? Yeah, like I, I know you called me out recently, and I've answered those criticisms, and I've played the best hockey of my life, maybe. Reward me. And properly. I think the big issue there is that Matthews Marner seemed to be getting all the minutes at 5-on-5 five t- five when it comes to, oh, we have a big shift, we need a goal, Matthews Marner are going out there. Tavares and Nylander are not getting many minutes this year. This might have more to do with Tavares than it does with Nylander, honestly. I, I don't even know if that's true. I think that he just loads up the top guys. That seems to be his solution quite often to pretty much anything. It's like, things aren't going well. I guess Matthews and Marner have to play 25 minutes tonight each. But they have other really good players on this team. And I don't think over the long term that this is how you win games. I don't think you win by just saying, I'm going to play our top two players ridiculous amount of ice time almost every night. I think in a must-win playoff game, I go with that mentality. I'm thinking of when Nathan McKinnon was playing like 25, 26, 27 minutes in some of those do-or-die games for Colorado, and I loved it because it's it's like Kawhi Leonard playing almost the whole game. You're thinking, yeah, this is your season. It's on the line. Play your best players. Maybe in that scenario. Maybe in that scenario, yeah. But I also would argue it benefits your team. The Leafs have had a ton of games 
where this happened a lot last year too when when Keefe took over where it would get down to the final like 10 minutes and Matthews and Marner just they already looked gassed like they did like you would look and like they didn't even have the gas left in the tank to make a real push and it's like yeah because they've already played like 20 plus minutes and there's still half a period to go here and you know there's something to be said about you're not trying to just get two players into the game like you're trying to get 12 like you you have to roll them a little bit well if you're the Leafs I think realistically you're trying to get your four superstars going right you still have to be a three-line team like no no team has won anything riding two lines like you have to have three yeah yeah I was just trying to think of quick examples for counterpoints but it's it's difficult to come up with any you can't and I looked at it last year and basically like the only team to win a cup with like a forward averaging like 20 plus minutes of recent memory was St. Louis with Ryan O'Reilly and it was just it was just Ryan O'Reilly and it was like 21 minutes and change and Ryan O'Reilly won the con smite that year and was an absolute monster and you know I'm not going to say one of those guys is better than the other anything it's just to say the playoffs is a grind and if you think you're going to play like 24 25 games in like 50 55 nights and you're going to play Matthews and Marner 25 minutes a night over that period of time, you are not going to like how that goes. I think Marner actually gets more ice time than Matthews when you take the penalty kill. Yeah, he does. I mean, he does. That's a big component of it. With Nylander, he's never getting any of those penalty kill minutes, but neither is Matthews, realistically. Five on five, they are playing Nylander, but I think it's because they don't really throw him out there for too many defensive zone starts. And I think they should more often. An interesting thing about D-zone starts is that we tend to associate it with, oh, you got to have the best defensive players on the ice for that sequence. It actually turns out that if you look at the numbers, you'll score more goals if you put your top six forwards in a D-zone start than an O-zone start because your ability to create a goal from the offensive zone, from an O-zone draw, do you know what the shooting percentage is on the first shot taken after an O-zone face-off win? I do not. It's, I think it's like 2%. It is so low because you're trapped. You win a face-off. You're stuck inside your own blue line. You have nowhere to go. You have to quickly fire a low-percentage shot on net. Whereas in the defensive zone, you have 200 feet to build up speed, to build up space. And who's better on the Leafs than William Nylander at picking up a puck in the defensive zone and creating something dangerous the other way? I think you need to get him on the ice more often in defensive zone situations. Even though I know that he's not your defensive ace, I think he's your transition ace. And that's where it has a lot of value. The 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 old Kessel Bozy JVR line used to tear it up doing that. They scored a ton off the rush and Just Mitch Marner picking the puck up and doing something fun with it. And I and I love Phil Kessel. Don't get me wrong, but he's like top oh, one. Oh, Phil Kessel. Sorry, I thought you said Marner. I thought you no, said no, JVR, like the old like Marner. No, no, the old Phil Kessel Bozy JVR line. That was the we're gonna get hemmed in for like forty percent. You know, like we're gonna give up so many shots and then we're gonna launch it up and get a two on one. And, and I love <laughs> Phil Kessel, but he's like top one worst defensive wingers I've ever seen in my life. But have you seen Thomas you, Vanek? Yeah, but you would get yeah Vanek. Yeah, I don't know who's lazier between the two, but it, it'd you be seen close. Patrick Kane lately? It'd be know. close. Patrick Kane's getting MVP talk, and I'm just wondering like if back checking counts. When we're talking about <laughs> power play, power play MVP, right? So. Yeah, I think I think it's just wrong in the overall, you know, like mantra of what they're trying to do. And, you know, I've talked about this a little bit before. Sheldon Keefe has mentioned um, the Seattle Seahawks a bunch of times. And, you know, I guess lucky for me, I'm a massive Seahawks fan. Like, you know, this for the Leafs, but the Seahawks, except I don't talk on a podcast or write on a blog. And 
so I've been, you know, watching them from, you know, the Trent Dilfer stage before Matt Hasselback, like ridiculous amounts of time. So I've seen the whole arc of the journey there. And, you know, Sheldon Keefe is talking about competition and trying to replicate some of those, you know, the way he plays music in practice. That's a Pete Carroll thing. The preaching competition, which Dubas mentioned today for the bottom of the lineup and having the competition, which did work well. You'd see like Boyd would come in for a game and look great. Spezza would come in for a game and work great. But like you can't just do that at the bottom of your lineup. Like you have to do that throughout your lineup. Either you do it and you're preaching competition throughout or you don't do it at all. Because you can't just look and be like, Matthews on a bad wrist who looks clearly off is going to throw up a 24, 25-minute night regularly. And Nylander, who's in the middle of the heater, is going to play like eight, nine minutes less than him. Yeah, and I, I, I get what they're trying to do with Matthews in that they're trying to say play through it and you're going to slowly get better and that a month from now you'll be much better than where you are right now as opposed to if you didn't play any hockey for the next month, at least competitively. Which situation would make you a better hockey player? It, it's a tough answer to come up with because on the one hand, rest helps injuries heal, but on the other hand, sometimes these nagging injuries, the only way to get comfortable with it again is to play and to have a few games where you don't look like yourself. Yeah, and that's fine. The ultimate point here is, you know, if other guys are deserving of the ice time, give it to them. Like, don't be afraid of your star players. Don't sit there and be like, I have to play them and keep them happy and play them an exorbitant amount of ice time. I I think there's something to be said to, you know, rolling a multi-line attack, which I think is ultimately where the Leafs want to go. But you're not empowering your players to do that when you're really just trying to boost the ice time of two guys. All right. We said we'd do this in under an hour, and we failed epically. My God. We're, we're, the, we're the Austin Matthews of podcasts, and we're just getting way too many minutes here. We need to give some of these minutes to Nylander. There's no games this week. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Here's my stat of the week. So we were talking about the six games and the fact that the Leafs have lost five of their last six, one in five in their last six. The goals for percentage in those games at 5-on-5 is obviously low. It is 37%. They have been drastically outscored at 5-on-5 in those games. What do you think the scoring chance share is for Toronto? What percentage of the scoring chances do you think Toronto has in their last six games, five of which they've lost? I think expected goals is like 57% or something, so I was probably going to guess around there. I think the expected goals are, I've got them at 55% here on Natural Statric. The scoring chances are 59%. So... As much as we want to talk about the fact that, oh, the Leafs need to find a way to get out of this struggle that they're in right now, I don't know how they're going to get out of it, I think they're playing pretty good hockey, all things considered. I think they have a lot of good players, and I think they're going to be fine. Can you erase that one game against Winnipeg where they had approximately a million and then recalculate? Because that, yeah, be, <laughs> that might be boasting the numbers a bit. Well, you can't just do that. This is like <laughs> when people say, oh, if, if you take away the games where Frederick Anderson's <laughs> given up a goal... You know, his, his save percentage is actually a thousand. No, know. but I think that game was like an extreme outlier. Like the numbers were just insanity. But, but every I hear outliers. you. But yeah, so, I mean, if, if we're going to do that for every team, okay. But let's not just not do it for one team. <laughs> it's kind of like when you're doing uh, grades in a class, and if, oh, if you, if we took away my my worst grade, I actually have a good average. I'm like, okay, are we doing that for every other student in the class? Because if not, then that's some teachers not fair. do. You get to pick your grade. You're like, this is my throwaway one for the year. But. In university, I remember at a, uh, a class where we dropped the highest and the lowest. And I, th- I thought that was an interesting way of doing things. That's ridiculous. It hurt. It hurt when my like high 90 grade just disappeared. And I was like, no, I need that. That's and, a good way to ensure everyone's average. 
Yeah, yeah. Just bring everyone, regress everybody to the mean. That's how we do it, baby. And on that note, I think we should get out of here because our ice time, much like Austin Matthews, is just it's running wild right now. Do you have a Do you have anything you want to say before we get out of here? Or is that how we're getting out of here? That's how. That's how we're, I was just smiling here and nodding. I was like, "Yeah, it's it's too high. I'm just gonna wait for Ian to say like, subscribe, all those things. <laughs> Smash that like button. Give us a five star <laughs> review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for putting up with us for over an hour of your time. We'll make sure it's shorter next week. But again, there's a three day stretch here where there's no Leafs games this week. Four days actually, and four days next week as well. I need more Leafs hockey to get through life. So hopefully after next week's podcast, we'll get back into the swing of things with regular hockey. Until then, take care, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast. For news, opinion, and analysis, make sure to go to mapleleafshotstove.com and join the conversation.